electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Live from the NASDAQ market site in the heart of New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. Here's what's on tap tonight. Powell on pause. The Fed chair saying he's proceeding carefully after the aggressive campaign to break the back of inflation. So why are stocks not cheering and why are rates still rising? We'll debate that. Plus, painful discovery. Discover Financial falling nearly 8% as credit loss provisions more than double for Q3. Is this a warning sign about the consumer? And later, electric slide, Tesla dropping over 9% today. A pessimistic Elon Musk calling out high production costs, rising interest rates, and the slowing economy on the conference call last night. Ring the bell. A noted Tesla bull and our own Tesla bear ready to drop the gloves on where the stock is headed next. <laughs> I had no idea he was bearish on Tesla. <laughs> I'm Melissa Lee coming to you live from Studio B at the NASDAQ market site on the desk tonight. Seagrass, Dan Nathan, Guy Dami, and guest trader for tonight, Lori Calvacina of RBC Capital Markets. We start off with Jerome Powell's pivotal speech here at the New York Economic Club. The Fed chair hinted he's ready to pause rate hikes for now, saying the committee is proceeding carefully. But at the same time, Powell also kept the door open for a move in December and beyond. And he added that while recent inflation data has cooled, it's still too high. Stocks seem to mostly shrug off the chairman's comments, but they couldn't shake off the move in yields. The 10-year came within a hair, a whisper a 5% late in the day, and that triggered a slide into the close. The Dow falling 250 points, while the S&P 500 and NASDAQ dropped nearly 1%. So are investors turning away from the Fed's musings and now mostly worried about yields? Guy, For, yields are driving everything. Rightly so. They should be. And, and I'll say this, and I'm, I'm not suggesting I'm right. The Fed could wake up tomorrow and say, you know, we're lowering rates. Ten-year yields going higher. It's just what it's that genie is out of the bottle. You know they've done the damage they need to do. They're a sideshow now, and I'm sure Rick Santelli has some thoughts. Ten-year yield is telling the story. And if you think of what's transpired over the last three or so weeks, yields had every opportunity to go lower in this flight to quality, given all the geopolitical risk, and it did it for a day. We got down to four, four, five, three, I think, and now here we are basically approaching 5%. That is extraordinarily problematic for the market. It's also extraordinarily problematic for a lot of these companies out there that haven't felt the pain yet. All right, so when you talk about the market, let's talk about stocks. I mean, there were four 1% moves today. Think about that um, in one day here, okay? And, and so to me, you have a VIX closing above 21 for the first time in a very long time here. So we've been wondering what would be the trigger, right, for stocks? What would be, and listen, they've been correcting, like no doubt about it. And we talked, Carter Braxton Worth gave us a stat. Russell 3000, half of the stocks in the Russell 3000 are below their October 2022 lows, okay? So we are clearly in a bear market for large parts of the stock market. We've been highlighting that. And again, concentration in some of these larger stocks, we get it. Every cycle, they always have them. What's different this time to me is just it's getting narrower. We might be losing some of these one by one. If you think about what Microsoft and Apple have done since their last quarterly earnings reports in July, what happened to Tesla today? Look at that this, chart, guys. 5.001%. It happened. There you go. All right. 
right, guy Nostradamus. He was calling it for a while. So I, I, guess, I, I guess my point is, is like we're seeing the volatility bonds uh, getting widened here. We're seeing a lot of stocks, a lot of sectors act very poorly. And all of a sudden now, that 5% thing is going to be on the front page of almost every newspaper tomorrow morning. What changes for equities with 5%? So look, I think 5% on the 10-year yield is a big, round, psychological number that has an impact. My modeling actually says 6% is a more problematic area. But we also have found in our testing over time that if you're looking at the effective interest rate for public companies, it tracks more to 10-year yields than the Fed funds. So it should be the 10-year that's actually spooking us here. All right. Steve? So when you look at the Russell, the Russell 2000, I think 40% is unprofitable. The Russell 3000, 60% is unprofitable. That's why you have seven stocks that run the market, because those are the stocks that are profitable and have a huge balance sheet. So no one has to worry about them raising money. If the market goes higher, those names will carry us higher. Guys started off the show with Powell. If you, if you, the Fed governors have said the 10-year has done the heavy lifting for the Fed. So he's played she loves me, she loves me not way too many times. He was bearish and bullish, dovish, hawkish on everything that he said today. So when you look at should he be raising rates right now, we can probably say unanimously no. The market has done that for him. The long end has done that for him. For now. For now, I, I, well, what, what, what do you mean by that? Do you think? I mean, if inflation, if, if there's data that comes in further that shows that inflation is still hot, I do not put it past the Fed that they will raise again. It, it may be off the table for November. Maybe that's what the markets are pricing in right now. But for December, for beyond, I don't and know. And that's what I classify as a misstep because I think they're, they are too late to act and they stay too long acting. So I think what we're all looking for is for the Fed to back off now the long and variable lags, is something broke? I think you would say, yes, things have broken right now. The 10-year is probably significantly broken at this point. He did talk about the long and variable lags, saying that now markets are much more efficient, and so those long and variable lags may not be as long because the markets factor that Mm. in almost right away. He also, I thought, was very interesting, addressed the notion that there may not be buyers. The Fed has stepped away. Other country. This was the question posed to him about other countries stepping away in addition to the Fed, you know, just before a huge wall of issuance is going to hit the market. And he said, I don't think it's been that bad. Hmm. You know, all the. Uh, the, I don't know what he's watching. I mean, that's fine. I mean, if this isn't bad, then what does bad look like? You know, and again, he has the data in front of him. Good for him. Clearly, he's been watching this show. The buyers have stepped away. As a matter of fact, it's, it, there's a, probably a very good chance that some of the historical buyers have probably been sellers. The Japanese, the largest owner of our treasuries, clearly they have issues. We've talked about it for a while. Every day dollar yen goes higher, the yen weakens, is another day they have to try to defend their currency by raising dollars to how they do that, by selling their treasuries. The Fed's not buying it, so who's buying it? You well, think retail's going to change? Historically, the, though, Japan. No, 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 no. Forget about historically. This is not about historically. I mean, the J- Japanese are out of the game. They are not buying our stuff right, anymore. Right, but the, ja- the Japanese and, and Chinese are not. Uh, Japan and China are historically in the single, low single digits buying our debt. The problem is QT. QT has been running off at an excessive rate on a monthly basis forever. August 2022. QT doubled on a monthly basis. Rates went from 2.64 in the 10-year to 3.8 in 30 days because that doubled. Powell never speaks about QT. No one talks about QT. QT is the elephant in the room that no one wants to deal with at this point. 
I don't want to deal with it. Um, I, you know, if I just look at the market, I mean, I'm just looking at the stock market. And again, I go back to all these sectors that act horribly. You know what I mean? Like they just act horribly. If I look at the, some of the data that we saw today about these existing home sales, they're back to levels from 2010. If you look at, again, I, I think the stock market acts really badly, people. I, I mean, I'm just telling you. And so if you guys own, you know, ETFs and they're he- heavily, seg- you, know, you, know, like, you know, and they are, they're, they're, they're geared towards Microsoft and Apple and all yes. these sorts of things. So we get that. But I guess the thing that we're trying to have you pay attention to a little bit is like as we lose one by one, I'm just going to call them the mag seven. That's a little thing. I know you don't like yeah, the, the full it. name or anything like that, but we might have just lost one today. OK, and I know we're going to spend some time talking about Tesla today. But if you think about how poorly, again, how Microsoft and Apple have outperformed to the downside from the highs in July, I think they're kind of telling you something. We're going to know a lot more in the next couple of weeks. I think there's a couple of disasters lurking out there. If you think if you want to take Tesla, OK, and you want to extrapolate it to Apple and you want to do it as, from a consumer standpoint, the next shoe to drop will be a decrease in enterprise spending. And we already saw this week over the last week, we saw Alphabet, we saw Microsoft and LinkedIn. Some of these guys were really quick to start cutting jobs in 2002 or 22 in the beginning of the year, they're starting to cut again, okay? So if enterprise spending starts to slow a little bit, and we're already seeing some deceleration in the excitement in and around these AI and this stuff, then the market's going down. I mean, we could be unchanged on the year in the not-so-distant future as we get towards, like, like out of Q3 earnings season, especially if those guys join the party to the downside. Are you worried about uh, spending being cut, or have corporations really tightened the belts in terms of hiring and labor, you know, on the labor side of things? They've been tightening the belt for a while. I mean, we read a lot of transcripts, and I feel like we've been reading about, uh, you know, tightening on labor, restructuring, Expenses, keeping yeah. costs down. We've been reading about that forever, and the restructuring commentary feels like it's picking up a little bit. At the same time, companies realize their pricing power is starting to erode a bit. So I think that's that's nudging them just a bit. Um, and the other thing we've noticed, frankly, is I'm seeing a lot more allusions to uncertainty about monetary policy, the Fed, inflation, uh, geopolitics now a bit, just impacting spending decisions, um, just having an impact on the overall psyche. Yeah, 5%. We lost it pretty quickly. And I wonder if there was like a, you know, positioning involved. Below here. it now? Yeah, 499. Green lights for equities. <laughs> no, I'm being, I'm you being, joke, but. <laughs> no, I'm, it's not. But you know what? It's not funny because, yeah. I mean, I don't think people fully comprehend really. And Rick will talk about this, really what's going on here. Yields can go a lot higher than where we are right now for supply demand reasons. If you were out there, you'd be demanding bigger yield to buy our debt. It's just that simple. And given everything we talk about, I mean, there's still no Speaker of the House last I looked. I mean, that's not particularly bullish either. So be prepared, because I don't think people understand really what's happening. And Biden tonight is going to be asking for a lot more funding for Ukraine plus Israel. Exactly. All right. So you you just said something really important, Laura. You talked about, uh, again, um, you know, if, if the ability for companies to push through, okay, costs um, is, is waning, okay, so think about what are built into S&P 500 earnings estimates. This per fact set expected 12% year-over-year earnings growth for 2024. Net profit margins, this is in their earnings insight blog here, expected to be up in Q1 and Q2 of next year, 12% or so. It's just too rosy. Like, just think about it, because crude oil is trading 90 right now, okay? Like, like, so just think about all this. So if we saw what happened to the consumer staple stock, because there's worries about pricing power. This is going to work its way to other parts of the economy, and tech is likely to be next. 
You raise your earnings estimates, correct? Yeah, we took them up by a couple of bucks. Mm-hmm. I will say for next year, I'm still at 232, and the consensus is about 247. Yeah. And to Dan's point, the big difference between my numbers and consensus is I've got margins coming in just a little bit versus 23, but going back to 2022 numbers. Whereas if you dissect the consensus, it's got enormous margin expansion. And actually, it's not just one sector driving it. It's across a lot of different sectors. So I think the street has really got to sit down and look at this pricing power issue and realize the margins are just not going to come in. All right. For more on uh, the raging rates, let's bring in Rick Santelli. Rick, based on what you heard from Powell and the steep climate yields, you still think that we could be heading north of 13 percent on the 10-year? We crossed five in the after hours here. Well, I think over the next seven to 10 years, I would not be shocked to see double-digit rates on long maturities. It's not my base case, but it's highly probable. And just look at what's happening this week. If you look at a chart that starts on the 13th of October. Every session this week for 10-year note yields has staircased, meaning it's traded higher than a previous session's highs. That's extremely aggressive if you're a technician. Now, let's contrast that with what happened today in two-year. So the two-year definitely traded above yesterday's highs you see on the intraday chart. But the issue is it also traded below yesterday's lows. Open it to a two-day chart, it's an outside session. So many ask, why did you get so much volatility right after Powell started or stopped speaking in the equity markets? And I think that's it. Outside days usually mean trend change. But I think in the short maturities, what it means is it's going to be lagging the aggressive tendencies of the more mature, longer maturities down on the yield curve. And when you consider that the 2's 10 spread today closed at minus 16 and change, That is the least inverted it's been since September of 22. Now, that isn't a long time, but it's significant. And if you look at the reverse repo market, it is now a significant drop from its December highs of the end of last year when it was a 2.6 trillion, 2.6 trillion. On Tuesday, it was barely 1.1 trillion. So that really augurs for two dynamics. The first dynamic is, is that a lot of those issues are hitting the secondary market. And a lot of the the investors and institutions that were filling that parking lot have taken those proceeds and they're buying T-bills, which is good because the T-bill supply is so bloated. But your discussion about who is going to be there when the debt continues to grow and the issuance continues to be strong, if I was Chairman Powell, that's what I'd be pondering more than anything else. This steepening, Rick, the optimists would say it's a great sign, normalization. The, the pessimists would say, well, it's steepening. It's a bare steepener at levels we really haven't seen in a, as long as I've been doing this. Thoughts on that? You know, my opinion is it is not good news. Yes, steepeners can be good news, but I think it's always compared to what's going on with the economy, what's going on with equities, what's going on with earnings, what are the undercurrents. The undercurrents I see are, you could look at the Atlanta Fed, you could look at what we're going to get next week with regard to third quarter GDP, but in the end, I read those beige book comments yesterday, as I'm sure everybody around the table did. It certainly didn't read like an economy that's producing at three, three and a half, four percent. I'm a firm believer that the fumes that we've been running on are fiscal stimulus, and that fiscal stimulus is going to take us so far. Granted, it's taken us farther than many thought, but I think ultimately that is going to be the linchpin that changes everything. So we crossed a milestone today, Rick, the big round number, 5%, the first time since July of 2007. What's our next stop here? Well, when it's staircases like this and we're guns hot, 
What I will tell you the next stop is doesn't mean it's going to be a significant top or even a significant temporary top. But I would think right around 533 to 537 will be the next area I would expect consolidation. And think Pac-Man when you're looking at this 5% level. Every time we take a bite out of it, it's important. But to me, the most important issue about big levels is whether you close above them, not whether you trade intraday through them. And tomorrow is going to be tricky because if we don't really get some horsepower through 5% early in the session, geopolitics will work against us later in the session. All right, Rick, always great to get your take. Thank you. Rick Santelli Thank joining you. us from Chicago this evening. Five three, five three, five percent. Steve? Problematic for equities. You, you, there's the inverse correlation. Now there's, there's no bigger inverse correlation to the 10-year. So that's the most important thing, the 10-year yield. Fed's balance sheet pre-pandemic, $4 trillion. Fed's balance sheet post-pandemic, $9 trillion. They're probably around $8 trillion now. They are not going to stop QT. That is the real problem that rates have, and that's why rates will continue to move higher. Lori, if, if Rick is right and we do hit 5.35% fairly quickly, maybe in the next two, three weeks, what sells off? What, what is the most vulnerable in your view? So I think it's essentially the things that have been propping up the market, right? It's the growth trade, which is already overvalued, crowded, in need of a correction, and this just gives you the catalyst to get there. Here's the good news. I mean, like we've been talking about it. So there's so many stocks that have acted so poorly. So many of them have fallen off the bottom right of their charts. They're down, you know, 20, 25 percent from their highs, that sort of thing. There's going to be a lot of really good opportunities. I don't think we're going to crash. I don't think like that. You know, you can go back and say the last time the 10 year was up here is 07. Last time before that, it was 00. And the S&P did get cut in half. But there's a whole host of other things. I guess the one thing, and Mel, you hit on this, is like the visibility just got a lot worse over the last you know, few weeks about from a geopolitical standpoint. And to Lori's point is if corporates are already having some issues as it relates to their costs and, and, and possibly they're just waiting for demand to fall off. That's the sort of thing that could get those names going much lower. But again, if Microsoft's down 25 percent from its highs and Apple's down 25 percent from its highs, there's going to be a lot of good values. You know what I mean? You're going to start seeing some relative strength. Maybe it's in financials or something like that that have acted so And the only thing that's going to happen, long. though, is you're going to get pushed. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy that you'll get pushed back into those names like Microsoft. So, yes, I agree with you. You're going to wind up buying those, but it's just going to widen the gap between those value plays again, which has never been wider value. Right, growth but my, right and now. that's my Large point. Is just growth. put a little fear into them because it, guy, it doesn't feel like there's a lot of fear in those names just yet, does Not, it? Well, Even I mean, though. it's funny. NVIDIA post earnings that night was trading 516. Yeah. It's trading 460. I'm rounding yeah. down $100 later. Yeah. I mean, Microsoft's starting to give it up a little bit. Apple's hanging in there for reasons that I can't understand. To answer your question, no, there's no perceived. I can't. There's no perceptible fear right now. So one thing I'll say that makes me sleep a little bit better at night on this issue, doesn't, I don't sleep great, but a little <laughs> bit better, um, is if you go back over time, whenever we've had these big surges in 10-year Treasury yields, and I'm going back decades, it tends to be big, chunky increases of 275 basis points or more in which stocks really get hurt to the downside. And we saw one of those happen that culminated last fall. And when we put that low in the market in October last fall, shortly after that, yields took a, took a bit of a breather, stopped going up at least for a little bit. That's one of the things that really helped power markets at the beginning of this year. I think there is still time to get out of this if the other macro issues cooperate, because we won't really hit that 275 basis point gap this time until we get to about 6%. So I think there's still time to get out of this with too much damage, but it's certainly not fun. You know, the fun thing that we haven't mentioned at all gold. is this. Oh, gold. Oh, no. <laughs> oh actually, there are Who many is that things. fun for? 
<laughs> There's many things that we have not mentioned. It's we've only been on for 18 plus minutes so far <laughs> tonight. Um, but I was going to mention a, the possibility of a credit rating downgrade again oh, in the face of like what's going on in Washington. We can't elect a speaker. We're going to be spending a lot more money on uh, international affairs. Of, well, I the mean, bond market, the bond in. market is trading as if that's we're on the precipice of that happening. Yeah. Would it be surprising if that happened? Quite frankly, if any of those people were actually doing their job properly, it would have happened already. So the old saying, best time to plant a tree 20 years ago, the next best time oh. is today. They should start to look themselves in the mirrors because it it makes no sense not to happen. Coming up is a bottom in for the chip trade. Shares of Taiwan Semi jumping despite a big profit loss. And it's what the chip maker is saying about the whole semi space that's got investors surging in. The details and some of the other tech swings next. And some fast movers on deck. AT&T jumping on earnings. Netflix streaming up after its results. The subscribers and price hikes boosting these names when fast money returns. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. We've got a news alert on cryptocurrency Ripple. Kate Rooney's got the details. Kate. Hi, Melissa. So the SEC is dropping its lawsuit against two high-profile crypto executives, the founders of Ripple, Brad Garlinghouse and Chris Larson. This was a civil suit. It had to do with what the SEC said were illegal sales of the cryptocurrency XRP. The SEC sued Ripple back in 2020. In December 2020, XRP at the time was the third largest cryptocurrency by market cap. It's fallen significantly since then. This has been a landmark case in the SEC's enforcement campaign against some other crypto companies. It's also uh, has high-profile lawsuits against Coinbase, Binance as well. Garlinghouse has called these allegations baseless. He put out a statement in the last 20 minutes or so. He says, quote, instead of looking for the criminals stealing customer funds on offshore exchanges that were courting political favor, so a nod there to Sam Bankman-Fried, he says the SEC went after the good guys, he said, who are building a regulated business in the U.S. Earlier this year, Ripple also got another win in this suit. A judge agreed with their argument that roughly half of its XRP sales did not violate investor protection laws. The other half were institutional sales, which still could be on the hook, but a win here for at least the executives in that case. Melissa, back to you. Kate, thanks. Kate Rooney. Taiwan Semiconductor telling investors that the chip industry could be close to a bottom. The chip giant beat on the top and the bottom line, but posted the biggest profit drop in nearly five years. Still, TSMC issuing upbeat revenue guidance for the current quarter and is expecting stronger PC and smartphone demand, their biggest business, as well as a tailwind from AI to help with a recovery in 2024. Shares finishing the day up more than three and a half percent. Dan, you flagged this. Yeah, I mean, listen, and they also said that China's still weak. Okay, so, you know, this comes in a week where we know that the Biden administration just 
just kind of tighten the restrictions against advanced trip sales to China. So, um, again, this is interesting. Apple is a 20-some percent customer, AMD, um, Qualcomm. Okay, so there's the smartphone and there's some of the PC stuff or whatever. They're about 8%, you know, so that's doing a little better. Um, you know, NVIDIA, 5.5%. So that's the one area we all knew was going to be strong here. It's kind of interesting, though, on a day that, again, this is a half a trillion dollar market cap company. So we saw Netflix that was up 16% or something. That was a $160 billion market cap company. So this thing was up 3% in, in market cap terms, kind of similarly or, or whatever. But um, again, you want to see early signs of stabilization. It's a very cyclical sort of industry. And if you can kind of get the PC, obviously, in the smartphone, those are the big ones, right? And, and the NVIDIA and the, 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 the GPU stuff, that's like the, the special sauce right now. You know what I mean? Right. So that's keeping things afloat. I mean, the CEO is pretty confident sounding. Mm-hmm confident of better growth in 2024. You don't use those words until, unless that is what you are seeing for sure. No, especially in this environment. And if you have that kind of clarity, good for him, I guess. Goldman Sachs today added at their conviction buy list, I think $115 price target. All good things. The SMH, if we have a chart going back to sort of November of 2021, textbook double top at 160, rolling over. NVIDIA, I think, is 19%. Taiwan semi-12. Throw Broadcom in, you got close to 35% of uh, of the ETF. Two out of the three might be on Dicey. I mean, Broadcom's holding in there, but by a thread. And obviously, NVIDIA's been rolling over. So if the SMH rolls over, the broader market has to follow. I'm also, you talk about geopolitical. That, that's that's the thing that I'm worried most about in this marketplace. But the market can't quantify geopolitical. It can only trade around commodities as far as geopolitical. I think the chip space would be impacted uh, to to a very large extent, even if, more so than it already has been. Even even more so, even more so, because I think things are going to get worse before they get better. Having said that, Nvidia is up 188 percent year to date. So if you look at where its support in the stock price is closer to 400 versus 420, but if you look at Micron, Micron was thought to be affected by China by the tune of 20 percent of their revenues. It's probably more like 13 percent. Look at the chart in Micron. It's the same year-to-date performance as Intel, but Micron's chart looks better to me than Intel if you're looking for a cheaper way to play the chip space that's more DRAM-dependent versus, versus NAND. I think Micron makes sense. All right. There's a lot more Fast Money to come. Here's what's coming up next. Spilling the tea and a Netflix fee, a cellular surge for AT&T as earnings come in hot, and a huge boost for Netflix as more price hikes stream in. So suit up. These fast movers are next. Plus, discovering losses. The company sinking hard as profits drop even harder. How credit risks are impacting the entire sector. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Fast Money Stocks. Dropping as investors digested the latest comments from Fed Chair Jerome Powell saying inflation is still too high and would likely need lower economic growth. And right at the top of the hour, the 10-year Treasury yield hitting 5%. That's the first time since July of 2007. 499 is where we are right now. Some after-hours action in shares of Intuitive Surgical, the medtech company dropping hard after a revenue miss. The stock down nearly 6%, uh, 8% at this point. Shares of AT&T jumping nearly 7%, reporting a 
beat on the top and the bottom line, notching its best day since July. The carrier raising its annual free cash flow forecast as wireless subscriber additions also came in above expectations. And Netflix also rallying more than 16 percent post earnings. The streaming giant announcing another price hike and a surge in subscriber numbers as a password sharing crackdown helps uh, fuel new additions. Um, this move in Netflix, it may seem big, but it brings us back to levels we haven't seen since maybe September. Yeah, <laughs> not that long th- ago. Three and a half, four weeks ago. It is impressive, though. I mean, it did it on a miserable tape, obviously. It did it on 27 million shares of volume, which is probably not short covering. It's probably people getting into the name again that have sort of been waiting. I thought it would sell off after earnings. That was clearly incorrect. Now the trick is, does it hold these levels or does it continue this move lower that we've seen for the last year and a half? It feels as though it's a little too much today for me. I do think you'll see it lower, maybe at the 375 level, then maybe take another look. The move in AT&T is a big one, considering it's AT&T. Guy, what was, it, what was what you said? What did you say about AT&T on the conference call today? I said it hasn't moved in like 20 years. No, I mean, the fact right. that we talk about it, I mean, I'm sure they're thrilled. There are other things, but <laughs> it's been grim death in a word for the last 20 years. You look at a chart, not only has it gone sideways, it's gone lower. And people, you know, the, the dividend, the dividend, you lose the AT&T dividend right. in a day. But so. maybe, maybe it's time for AT&T to shine, Lori, in this mm. environment where we want to have quote-unquote, safe havens. Yeah, I think the safe haven trades are coming back into focus just in what feels like a deteriorating sentiment environment. Interest rates, whenever they rise, it's like your, your, your market's in a vice. Um, and so whether it's, you know, telecom stocks, consumer staples that are, you know, getting better on valuations, even though their fundamentals are miserable, or utilities, which have just been all over the place recently, I think I hear a lot of people with guys' intonation of like, eh, but maybe I should look at this. I think that's the conversation that's starting to happen. He had colorful, I mean, I think it was colorful language. On other shows, I could use the language. Like, like what show? On, like a crime show? Like HBO yeah, you know, Max? just <laughs> those late night shows. All right. <laughs> Um, coming up, credit card crumble, Discover Financial plummeting after a big profit drop. The signs of stress they're flagging the consumer. Plus, is the EV trade running out of battery? Demand fears growing as Tesla drops after earnings. What Elon Musk had to say about demand in the entire auto space. Don't go anywhere. More Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Discover Financial seeing its lowest close since early 2021, falling about 8% today. The stock now off 30% over the past three months. The credit card card credit card company holding its earnings call today after reporting quarterly profit miss last night. Discover telling investors its credit loss provisions more than doubled last quarter. So could there be more pain coming? Uh, the CEO is also talking in the conference call specifically about cracks in the consumer household uh, the wealth effect is deteriorating. Savings rates are deteriorating. FICO scores are deteriorating. Those are all not good for uh, for these stocks. Yet we talk about well, people come on over and over again, tell us how healthy the consumer is. And I think they sort of conflate consumer spending, which is always there, with the actual health of the consumer, which right now is not there. You're seeing it from the DFS report and the numbers they talked about. Yeah, and it's not just on the lower-end consumer. I mean, we talked about LVMH last week and, and some of the, the numbers that they reported. And just look at an American Express that is flat on the year now. It's down significantly from its 52-week highs or so. So there's things in the stock market that are at least kind of getting my antennas up that, like, it's going to be a rockier road for the consumer on, on all different parts of the spectrum. 
Well, a former bank executive warning that when Discover Financial catches a cold, the rest of the industry gets the flu. Nigel Morris is Capital One's co-founder and former chief operating officer. He's now managing partner in fintech VC firm QED Investors. Nigel, welcome to Fast Money. Um, so you know this space intimately. And I'm curious, how, how, do you, how do you read this? Because there is some thought that perhaps a Discover Financial reached too much in the pandemic for growth, so they extended their credit cards too much to too many people, and it, it's just sort of digesting that now? Or is it a real sign of deterioration in the consumer? Uh, thanks for having me. Um, it might actually be a bit of both. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that we, it's very easy to lose sight of the fact that the credit card business is often the crown jewel in retail financial services. Capital One was built on uh, doing credit cards really well. And, uh, you know, the uh, returns on equity can be 25, 30 percent if done well. So there's always a lot of incentive for banks and monolines to do more of it. And look, uh, and the, we were talking about a trillion dollars now of credit card debt and $175 billion added since the fourth quarter of 21. So a lot of growth. Um, if we look at Discover in particular, the charge-offs are in the normal range, around 3.5%, 4%. it was the pace at which the charge-offs went up that would draw, draw your eye to be concerned. Delinquency meant, went up too, and a whole host of compliance issues uh, that were uh, pointed to in the earnings call last night. So as, we take a, as I take a step back and look at the health of the consumer, as you uh, <laughs> rightly pointed, and, uh, and what that means for charge-offs, on the positive side is that unemployment is 3.8%. Uh, and the fact that people have jobs means that they can pay back their debt, mm-hmm. all things being equal. And the fact that the large credit card issuers have pulled back in the last 6, 9, 12 months and have tightened their credit criteria. That bodes well. Now, on the other side of the equation, there's a few things to watch out for. Um, firstly, uh, that student debt is kicking in this month. So what is it, 40 million Americans, $1.7 trillion, and the average person is going to have to pay, of the 40 million people who owe, is going to have to come up with $350 this month. That's a decent-sized number. That will hurt. Uh, the fact that um, uh, the growth rate is slowing, which means the denominator goes down, which all things being equal, the percentage will, uh, will go up. And the savings rates drop dramatically. I mean, Americans were saving at 26% at the time of the height of the stimulus. Uh, and at 7 or 8% before COVID hit. Now we're down to 4%. So but to the point about spending, it's been incredibly robust. But my take is it can't go on for much longer. So net-net, I think that we're going to see a bubble of charge-offs flowing through the system. And uh, the big question is what happens to unemployment uh, 6, 9, 12 months from now? Right, when that bubble theoretically pops or, or is stretched to that limit. Um, I'm wondering, because, you know, fintech... Fintech is amazing. It can, it can be amazing. And I'm wondering if it's an operating the same not good environment where the consumer is stretched, the consumer is challenged, et cetera. It's operating in the same macro environment that all the other traditional financials operate. So what can fintech do better in this environment? Well, look, I, certainly uh, consumers and small businesses are suffering. There's no doubt that they are in this inflationary environment. They're dealing with enormous uncertainty, unprecedented uncertainty. The leverage that uh, fintech brings to the table is it starts with a blank sheet of paper, largely digital, le- leveraging off new data sets, uh, being really transparent with the consumer and looking to solve a consumer's problem 
rather than, uh, you know, be part of a, a large machine. The banks are really pretty solid and, by and large, very well run. But innovation is really tough. If you're not growing your revenue and you can't attract world-class talent, it's really hard to be a Klarna or to be a Credit Karma or to be a Stripe or a Square, companies that are fintechs that have now reached escape velocity. So for fintechs, the, the opportunity is really to offer services to people that the banks don't offer services to well or can the banks don't care to offer services to. And, uh, you know, half of America has trouble getting a credit card. Uh, many banks don't really want to serve people with a FICO score under 650 because largely they don't have much money. And if you don't have much money and you don't want to lend them money, really, how do you make money from them? So this has been the, the, uh, the this is where the chimes and the currents and the Alberts uh, these kind, and the mission lanes have been able to step into that space. So I think fintech is doing a terrific job. If you look at the net promoter scores of the fintechs, the 70s and 80s, the banks are in the teens. So they really are solving a problem. That doesn't mean they can't do more and there's right. more opportunity. But fintech is really there. So, Nigel, you guys are early stage investors in fintech at QED. And, you know, like through the lens that we look at it through, like to, to Mel's point about fintech right now, I mean, some of the worst acting stocks in, in the stock market are, are fintech, fintech stocks. So if you look at PayPal, maybe a new 52-week <laughs> low today. Yeah, you know, it's right. been cut in half from its 52-week highs. It's down more than 80% from its 2021 highs. Right. When you see that sort of behavior, how, how does like, like your investment outlook in the private markets, how does it feel relative to what's going on in the public markets right now? You know, um, the, the, the image I have in my head is that of an EKG. Things were bopping along really well. I mean, QED existed before fintech was a label. We started this 15 years ago. Uh, things were bopping along. Um, inflation, uh, sorry, uh, we had a COVID hit, mm -hmm. massive government stimuli. Valuations went sky high, largely and as a result of FOMO, uh, fear, of, fear of missing out, and a massive injection of private equity and hedge fund money. Mm -hmm. the, at the top... Uh, fintechs, public fintechs were trading at 20 times revenue, not 20 times earnings. Mm -hmm. Most of them didn't have any earnings. 20 times revenue. And then Putin invades, supply chain disruption, cost of money goes up, uh, cost of money, pull, uh, amount of money pulls back and stocks fall like a stone. Mm -hmm. They fall to four times revenue. So they fall from 100 uh, units to mm -hmm. 20 units. Massive disruption. And then they've been coming back if they're profitable and if they have good business models. We had five companies in our portfolio go public in 21. Mm -hmm. um, all of them are now profitable um, and all of them have been climbing back. So it's going to take some time to come back. But good business models that are profitable, key, and growing at a decent rate, that are consistently hit their earnings are, are coming back but it'll take some time because the excesses of 2021 are still are going to be a significant hangover on the fintech universe. Nigel, thanks so much for coming by. We hope you'll visit us again soon. Oh, I'd like to. Thank Nigel you. Morris. Thank you. Um, another knock on fintech guys that a lot of these, um, you know, publicly traded fintech firms, they haven't weathered this sort of business cycle. And so how can they possibly do that now? You can say that for a swath of industries, for but many, you're right, fintech yes. specifically because they're so obviously rate sensitive. I don't know the answer to that. And I think a lot of them are learning the hard way. But I'll say this, American Express, tomorrow before the bell, Fascinating, because we've seen loan loss provisions, credit. If American Express starts to say the similar at a different end of the spectrum, then it's going to get really interesting really quickly. American Express obviously has that higher level income uh, person that uses the card. So that's the one that's been outperforming on a relative basis. It just watch the unemployment level for all of these names. That ticks up. You sell everything. Coming up, the ultimate Tesla showdown. Gary Black and Dan Nathan go head to head. 
on an EV maker that might be losing its charge will slug it out. But first, Blackstone Blues, the asset manager dropping like a rock. It's worst day in more than a year. We'll tell you what the company's COO had to say this morning about real estate challenges right now. More Fast Money right after this. We're seeing a sharp decline in new construction, down 30 to 70 percent in this last quarter in most areas of commercial real estate. And that lays the framework, the groundwork for a future recovery in value. So, yes, the near term picture more challenging. We like to be long term investors. Welcome back to Fast Money. That was Blackstone President and COO Jonathan Gray on Squawk Box this morning, trying to find a silver lining after his company reported weaker than expected earnings. The stock closing out its worst day in more than a year. Guy, in the past, you've been a fan of Blackstone. It's had some trouble. It ha- I mean, it's had a great bounce over the last six months, very quietly up to 115. And it's interesting, the court, you're right, it was a disappointing quarter. I think what took the stock down the next leg was some of Mr. Gray's commentary. I mean, very honest about what's going on in the environment. Rates obviously are hurting. So, They see it firsthand. you got to figure, where's the level to get back in this stock? And I will tell you, this 93 level makes a lot of sense for a lot of reasons. It traded 9 million shares today. Not enough volume to get me excited. But if you have like a 30 million share day, trades down to 90 or something, I think you want to take another look. Tesla slumping over 9% on the back of yesterday's lackluster results. After the break, we will ring the bell on an electric bull bear battle royale. Fast Money is back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. It's time to take the gloves off in tonight's Times Square takedown. We are battling over the future of Tesla and the EV explosion. Our bear, the one and only fit and fighting, Trim Dan Nathan, (laughs) future fund managing partner Gary Black, who joins us uh, on the Fast Line tonight. We had some technical issues with his picture. Gary, you'll get the first swing here. You still like the stock here. You know, a lot of people were commenting on the the conference call that Elon sounded really down and out. Um, He blamed everything under the sun, higher interest rates, a bad macro environment, geopolitical. Uh, but this is still your second largest position. Yeah, look, the conference call was, was lousy. The earnings uh, was, were lousy because they missed on the most important metric, which is auto gross margin. Uh, and the, col- the quality of the earnings were light because it was all based on red credits and lower tax rate. But when you think about the stock, it's trading now 52 times. It's growing its volumes and earnings at 35% between now and 2027, I, I'm a growth manager. I can't find stocks that traded 52 times that are growing at 30 to 35%. So we still like it. Uh, in terms of volumes, you had noted on Twitter, Gary, that past price cuts didn't yield an increase in volume. And there's concern now that Tesla will, will continue cutting price in order to compensate for higher rates, which would hit the consumer in the form of the auto loan, auto financing. So, you know, to what end do they... Do they cut price at this point if, if you say that the incremental volume is just not, not materializing? Yeah, there's been no demand elasticity, despite what Elon says. You know, if you look at where the estimates for 2023 were at the beginning of the year, and then you look at where they are today, they're exactly the same. If you go out to 2024, they're actually lower. So you're not getting any volume growth for these price cuts. So we've been advocating stop cutting price. Put some money into advertising. Use that as another tool in your marketing toolkit to try to get more volume. Because I don't, I don't think by cutting the price of the Model Y from fifty thousand to forty-eight thousand is going to get you any more incremental volume. And, and I'll go so far as to say that if you look at monthly payments of a Model Y today, if you took out a five-year auto loan 
and rates have gone from 4% to, let's say, 7.5%, but the, but the price of the Model Y has come down by 20%, the payments are actually lower today than they were a year and a half to two years ago. So I just, I don't, I don't understand the logic of why they have to, to, you know, keep cutting the price. And look, I think at the end of the day, they're going to see that they're not getting any demand elasticity, despite what they said on the conference call last night. So we think that there might be another couple of price cuts, and we, we may see margins come down a little bit more. But I go back to, I got a stock trading at 52 times next year's earnings, growing at 35% a year, and I can't find stocks that trade at a peg of 1.5 in the growth universe. Right. But Gary, you know, that revenue growth is decelerating, right? The delivery growth is decelerating. And I I remember listening to you, I think it was on the last call in April after the Q1 uh, earnings report. I remember, I think you said that you sold a part of your position. You were not happy Mm -hmm. with the price cuts. That was all the way back in April. And if I look at this stock and I look at now the three reactions, the day after it's reported, it's Q1, it's Q2, it's Q3, it sold off basically 10% each time. So the big money out there is selling on those days. You seem to be very frustrated with his strategy. You seem to not buy the math that he's giving, you know, and, and the CFO, you know, who does all the math, right? Like he left a couple months ago without us, without really a statement or anything like that. So maybe there's some funny math going. And I listened to the same call that you listened to. And I give you a lot of credit. I was reading your Twitter this morning. You were being very honest about it. Are you selling, if you were selling stock after the Q1 call when the stock was $175, are you selling stock here at 220 Because it looks like the fundamentals of this company, at least as it relates to the autos, are deteriorating. And if simple math about price elasticity is not working for this company right now, why are you sticking around waiting for that growth to decelerate further if that's the case? That's the, and we haven't even had the recession yet, okay? So that's the other point I would make. Yeah, well, we got a couple catalysts ahead. So, one, the cyber truck is going to be huge. If you go out and you talk to pickup truck owners, and you got to talk to all of them. You can't just talk to 65-year-olds that drive F-150s. You talk to 30-year-olds, 40-year-olds. We go out and we do that. What you find is people love the look of the cyber truck. The cyber truck will be out in about two weeks. It's going to be a rolling billboard, and you're going to see it, and you're going to get excited about it. And you may not buy a pickup truck, but you're going to go to the Tesla website. You say, wow, that's really neat. What is it? I, I can't even imagine the social media buzz that you're going to get when that cyber truck starts rolling all across America. And there's a halo effect that will come with that that will ignite the entire franchise. That's one. Two, they didn't talk about this. I'm not sure why, but there will be at some point an FSD licensing deal with another OEM. It's probably going to be like a Toyota or a Honda, and that's going to get people very excited because there's going to be other FSD FSD, uh, uh, licensing deals. And then the third thing is that the energy business, which has always been very small, is now the highest margin business. It's 24% margins. The auto business is 16. That thing, that thing tripled in the third quarter versus the third quarter a year ago, and people aren't putting any value whatsoever on that. So I think there's a bunch of catalysts ahead. And then the $7,500 IRA credit is going to go to off-invoice January 1st. So I got a lot of catalysts, and you're right. Uh, the volumes have been decelerating. We're gonna, we're probably, if they hit 1.8 million for the year, that means that their volume growth for the fourth right. quarter is only going to be 18. percent But Gary. I think they can get back to 30. percent Unfortunately, we got to leave it there. We'll have you back, hopefully. Gary Black, a future fund on Tesla. Up next, final trades. Final trade time, Steve. Choppy price action, but grayscale Ethereum trust. Lori Calvacina. I think energy's got a lot of room to run in here. It's cheap, good dividends, good balance sheets, and oil's staying high. 
We thank Lori for joining mm, us this evening. Thanks, Lori. Dan Nathan. Yeah, Tesla's biggest bull on the Twitter doesn't seem that bullish here. I would not be a buyer here. Guy. Great guess. I dig Nigel. We gotta have him back. No? Yes. I like his graph paper notes. My kind of guy. Uh, gold, Agnico Eagle Mines. Thank you for watching Fast Money. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. All opinions expressed by the Fast Money participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Fast Money participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.